0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. Kate Clancy is a teacher, playwright, multi-prize winning poet and writer. In 2018, she was awarded an MBE for services to literature and became one of the most celebrated voices here in the UK teaching poetry to young people. Except over the past year, an online campaign has grown against her, accusing her of everything from racism to ableism, with the result as of last week, that her books will no longer be published by Picador. She's with me here in the studio to tell us about it. Kate, welcome. Hi. Let's just start with a kind of overall introduction. What, what are you? How, how long have you been doing it? How, how do you think of yourself?
0: I'm a writer and a teacher, and I've been a teacher since I graduated, and I've been a writer um, since about 1995. Um, and my selected poems. My first collection came out in 1996. Um, so that, that's really a very long time. So you were a teacher yeah, first I was a, and I was blossomed a into first. a poet and, a, yeah, that's and right. a writer. I used to be a teacher with writing as my hobby. And then I turned into, I always used to say to my student, I turned into a writer with teaching as a kind of, as a passion that I was able to do, um, you know, more for love than, than, uh, than money which was a wonderful privilege and for um, more than a decade I worked in one particular very multicultural school um, near me and we wrote lots and lots of poems and many beautiful good things came out of that and in nine in 2018 we published this book England poems from a school which is all by recent migrants so it's got an amazing List of mm. names there, which remind me of all my beloved students, um, and th- their are beautiful poems. And when it first came out, it had a um, it got a wonderful reception. People really loved it, and they've been reanthologized and used in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. And then the year after that, I published a memoir which I'd actually been working Do on. I have it. here. Yeah, some kids I taught and what they taught me, um, which I'd been working on for again for more than ten years. Um, and I'm, I'm a slow writer, and it's the story of the different people I've taught, and it employs a kind of vulnerable eye. That is, it has a a Kate in it who go who meets different students, different young people, and quite often at the beginnings of the story, she has some cliched ideas, she has some stereotypes. And it it employs kind of sentence by sentence a vulnerable eye because the it's about learning and I try mm. to make the learning always fall on on the Kate character.
1: Mm. I've just been reading this. Mm. It's a lovely book. Um, it it's stories from your long teaching career. Yeah. And you've been moving around different schools. There's a school in Scotland, mm. a school in London, and your experiences of the different pupils and their different backgrounds and what you learned from them and what they learn from you. Yeah. In essence, it is. Um, and this was the book that began the story that we're now going to hear about. This is
0: the book that began the story. But so, I, th- I think the movement against England Poems from a school and people beginning to see that that see that as a, an exoticising or patronising book was part of, part of what was going on. So, so you back.
1: feel that the sort of campaign or the atmosphere started to change around that book mm-hmm. then, which was the anthology? Yeah, it started. And so w- what was the accusation at that stage that by Focusing on poems from people from immigrant communities, you were in some way exoticizing them or commoditizing that's, them in some way. What, what was right. the accusation? Yeah. Exactly what
0: you said, exoticizing and commodifying, and that their poems um, weren't really by them, or that they shouldn't be read, um, or that the, the young people were being oppressed or used in some way by having their poems published. I
1: mean, this is what is so strange about this kind of story. And this is such an extreme example of it. Well, that endeavour is so obviously, an attempt to kind of reach out to these different communities and celebrate their differences, at least that's what it appears like to me. Do you it, feel like sort of by trying to be a good person in that direction, you've made yourself more vulnerable to well, you do, those attacks? I
0: don't think it's untrue. I, I think it's something that I always talked to the students about, um, was that, that, that people do pat them on the head to feel better that it's possible that some of the attention that they receive is patronising. It's, it's, it's more than possible. And, and people do sometimes receive what they say in a flat way. I've had, you know, lengthy discussions with the I mean, they're grown up, a lot of them now, they, they've grown up, they've got politics degrees, they're award winning mm. writers, they're doing all sorts of things. Um, and in discussion, they'll, they'll say some of that, you know, that some of the discuss some of their reception patron, was patronising. But overall, they gained a great deal. Overall, I mean, people mm. want to be published. Overall, they got into all sorts of different rooms. They um, found themselves on the radio. They found themselves doing different things. And also their their words were heard. Mm. For people that maybe didn't hear them completely correctly, I don't think you can legislate how people receive things. Many, many more people were just moved.
1: So that's the kind of... the, the... Preface, that's part of as the. That's
0: the atmosphere beforehand. Yes. Right.
1: So, so just so this is a a teacher, a poet, uh, an English mm-hmm. teacher, encouraging their pupils to to write, and then managing to get them published in an anthology is already potentially a transgression of some kind.
0: That's, I think so. Yes. I think it was upsetting people. I again, of course, it's imperfect. It's imperfect. Like the anthology is imperfect. It's imperfect. Like every day, I go into school and encounter different kids. I'm imperfect.
1: I mean, that's the way it is. If you don't mind me saying, it it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like you're being very understanding here. And already, we we haven't even got to the main part of the story, but you're, you know, there's there's a lot of attempt Mm -hmm. to legitimize some of these criticisms. I mean, I think a lot of common sense people would think that if you've managed to get published a group of poems from your pupils, that's pretty much an unambiguous positive.
0: I hope so. Um, we just try to think about it all the different ways. And, you, you know, I was always on the, the the other side of this fight. I, Because for years, I was extremely irritated by the way that people didn't receive my students' poems. And I was a great writer of rude letters to young people's poetry competitions saying, I truly do not see what the difference between this poem you've chosen and my students' poem is, because there genuinely was prejudice against their landscape, their language that they were using, because it, 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 they many so many of them were came from different. Um, were, were, so many of the students were of colour and came from mm-hmm. different places, mm-hmm. and I, I wrote so many of those letters and I campaigned so seriously on that issue. Um, I do find that strange that everything flipped so quickly, from being something that I couldn't get people to listen to to something which people were said was being listened to in the wrong way because of because of my pre- prejudice. That seemed to be quite a quick flip. Let's. And then move on to this. Yes. Let's talk
1: about this one, because this is where things really got out of hand. Yes. Um, so this is a, a memoir, Yeah. Um, as we said, it's a collection of examples of different pupils from over the decades, from all, sorts, all mm. sorts of different places. And it strikes me as a book absolutely full of love and enthusiasm for those experiences. Mm. Every page you can tell that you are deeply invested in these people and fascinated by them and, and positive about them what was the complaint about this book
0: um, well the com- the complaint was that i'm racist and ableist
1: what what were the and examples cruel. So, so give us you, your your head so so so, so the,
0: the the famous examples were um, i there's a story about teaching in essex in the 1990s and one of the problems i had then was that I knew that the students in front of me came from the east end of London, their names told me that they came from all sorts of different origins, and I couldn't get them to talk about where they came from. I knew some of them came from, you know, Wales, some of them came really a very short generation from Pogrom, and I I was so interested in those issues. Jewish? Yeah, absolutely. We were teaching teaching Oliver Twist, um, and I wanted them to Talk about their heritage, but I couldn't get them to. And, at, and I mean, I took them down Brick Lane. <laughs> to, and they went, you know, they, it, it was an area of closure that I had, I had difficulty with. I, I wanted people to, they wanted more positive identification from them. And at one point, I, I said, um, A boy has an Ashkenazi nose. And that has been taken as racial profiling. So, this again, what... I would truly apologize if, any, if someone is offended by that. It's not what I meant. I meant, what I meant was, you lovely kid why don't you love your amazing heritage? That so, I think is fantastic. Right.
1: So the quote is, I was baffled when a boy with jet black hair and eyes and a fine Ashkenazi nose named David Marks refused any Jewish heritage. So mm. This is in a list of examples of people who mm. you knew had backgrounds from all over the place, but somehow weren't engaging with yeah, it.
0: Yeah, and many Irish kids clearly of Irish heritage, I'm of Irish heritage. Um, it's such an important thing to come, to come from a potato famine to come across. And There's so much beauty in poetry and song that goes with that, and I and and asking them to, um, why didn't they want to identify with that? And the book goes into quite a lot of talk about that, about you know, and there is pain and difficulty that's caused that change that people they don't want to claim that because it's associated with poverty and huge amounts of difficulty, and that's what the book goes on to say.
1: I guess there are two sort of um, strands to this. Mm. One is the kind of idea of observing someone's physical appearance. And how it relates to where they've come from or their mm. background, which is I suppose is now taboo. you know it, it would yes. appear from this experience you've had. I mean you you talk about um handsome Kenyan face or stiff Japanese hair. these are kind of these are things used affectionately about different pupils that you had that you're recalling and mm. in and as differences, but it sort of feels politically incorrect or it feels taboo yes. to describe. Anything physical connected to where someone comes from is that where we now it, it are. It
0: is. I, 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 it seems to be. I would say in schools, in teenage years, if you remember your teenage years, there's nothing that children worry about more. And schools are very physical places. Kids look different, and they, how they present themselves is hugely important. And if you're in a very multicultural school, especially. I mean, English multiculturalism is different from American multiculturalism. We've got a huge, especially in the last twenty years, in the south of England, quite amazing numbers of very recent migrants from Europe and from you know from every continent of the globe presenting. And just as that, with their appearance and with their nationality, they want two things. I mean, they want to fit in and be accepted, but they also want their difference to be acknowledged, and they. Every encounter is a dance between those things as it is between every human being. And as it, as also there is a dance of perception. So you perceive people as different and you want to and you accept them, but their difference wants to remain from you. That's being a human being. And I tried in this book to take you through some of those journeys as a teacher that you see. You know, so so I learned, for example, that I was thinking of two boys as the same as similar as looking similar but they educated me that actually the fact that one of them didn't look somali enough for him was the biggest trauma of his life he wasn't worried about acne or you know whether he he looked attractive he was actually worried that his appearance might menace his family's visa status which is not something that I'd ever thought of but I thought that it was a story that was worth recounting so that other people could could share that experience and imagine that pain. Because it's part of a whole chapter about the lies that we oblige people to tell when they come into this country, because of our laws, because of what's happening, and how that impacts on young people and their their capacity to tell stories. So it's a story within a story within a story. It's not a story of racial prejudice. Um, It's a story about difference. But maybe you're right, maybe we can't write about difference anymore. And that would be sad.
1: That's what struck me having just finished the book is that you're not afraid to talk about both culture and physical appearance mm. of these students who you obviously loved a great deal. Um, that people you know, can be- believe what they like about how we should describe people physically. But is it also true now, do you think that you can't describe people's cultures, or, or it's in some way, Stereotyping or generalizing to make any comment about people's culture. So you have, for example, Kurdish pride. Mm. You know, a particularly proud, vigorous Kurdish lady who was getting you to do things for her. What's the? What should the rule be about that? Apparently,
0: well, I mean, it is something that I considered very carefully because I think it's very important, and that's why this book isn't doesn't have descriptions of people as they are. It only has descriptions of people as they appear to me. So in each scene, and that's why people, you know, I, I know that Kate in the book is grating and why her middle classness is extremely made obvious, because I think you can't describe people as it were from a neutral point of view, and certainly not from inside them. But you, sh- what you can do is center, have a a, 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 an almost an irritating narrator, a raised narrator, a narrator, and we know who she is. Um, and so we, you know each, in each scene that here's Kate, and she's full of these middle-class notions, and she's panicking, and she's worrying about her lesson plan, and then she's taking in the other person, the child she's talking to, from that point of view. And it's all done very, very carefully from that way, in, the, in that way, so that I never say, this is what this person is. I always say, this is how I perceive this person, and these are my perceptions. And this, and you know who's doing the perceiving. But I don't think, um, yeah, maybe that's not good enough. I don't know. But even that, it's not good you, enough if you don't read the end of the paragraph.
1: I wonder because people have always talked about differences in cultures, and obviously mm. there are differences in there cultures. There are differences. It and they're very be, interesting. it would be fantasy to it pretend that there world. aren't, and actually what this book seems like to me is almost a kind of, it's a, it's a vision of multiculturalism, that could be a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's a, the most positive version of multiculturalism that we could hope for where cultures are, as you say, both identified as having different
0: mm-hmm.
1: angles, but also having common ground.
0: Well, that's, that's what a multicultural classroom can be. That's why, um, that's why I love teaching there. You know, and that's why this amazing book, this poetry, can come out of them, isn't it? It's a complete privilege. I think it's one of the best places I've ever been. And I tried, and I tried to say so.
1: So, actually, if we're not allowed to observe the differences between cultures, what are we left with? It's not a multicultural society; it's a monocultural society. Or, what's the effect of being forbidden to describe and celebrate? Differences in culture—it's
0: deadening, I suppose. I don't. It it, it's completely different from the real world, Um, and you know, this argument on Twitter won't stop young people relating to each other and remaking English and relating, you know, changing the world. Got nothing to do with that, really.
1: So, let's go through the actual sort of timeline with what happened with this book. When it was first published, um, it was celebrated. It won the Orwell Prize, one of the most prestigious prizes we have in this country. Um, It was reviewed across all of the media extremely positively. And it was a hit. Mm. It was then sometime after that this online fury began as people began to look into it, and certain critics were trying to identify this racist or inappropriate angle. Talk us through
0: what happened. I was not behaving well, and I wasn't well. Um, both my parents died in quite difficult circumstances earlier in the year, and I was having difficulties. I was very worried. I've always been worried about the kids, about the kids I, rep- you know, that I kind of represent and have to take care of. Um, and they, they, they began to be reviews on Goodreads, and they have been changed since, which misquoted and quoted and said. Um, said I was a racist. Just began to, began to say those things, and I responded, which I shouldn't have done. And I do apologise, and I have apologised.
1: So you think you yeah, you inflamed it?
0: I did absolutely. It was absolutely my fault, and I really wouldn't want that to impact on anybody. But then it really went very huge, and lots and lots of though you know it was the three lines really: Ashkenazi nose, chocolate skin. It was they misquoted. People constantly said "Jewish nose," which is not something I Hmm. ever wrote. Context was never there. But it went. So it started in the review
1: section of Goodreads, which is a website, and then escalated into into Twitter. And then almost immediately,
0: almost immediately on Twitter, it went into the 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 academic essay was circulating for some time before that, um, and the phrases from that were echoed in the Goodreads reviews, and then this was, and clearly, I think some people had. Um, Been expecting, wanting this to happen, and it happened.
1: And there were certain writers or critics who were kind of leading the charge, both in social media and.
0: But again, I, you know, I, I think anyone caught up in this is caught up in something with its own momentum, and it's terribly, terribly upsetting for them. And I, I, wouldn't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't really even, I don't blame them. I, I think they felt very upset and became caught up in something that none of us are very much in charge of.
1: There's the book, it's a hit. There's mm-hmm. the subsequent yeah. controversy. Controversy. What happens next? Your well, students well, the, actually yeah. got involved themselves. No, well, I mean, my, students, again,
0: my, my students were upset. It's very upsetting to have, you know, disgrace poured on something that you've been deeply involved in, of course. But what happened next was my publishers apologized for. Um, over my head. They they call they called one of the one thing one of the problems is that my editors had changed, so I didn't have an editor there. But there was a very senior meeting at Pan Macmillan without anyone who'd read the book in the room, I believe. Um, and they apologized. Who
1: apologized?
0: Pan Macmillan apologized over my head.
1: The MD. Oh. Yeah,
0: there were well, the the corporation apologized. They issued an apology. Um, and
1: for what exactly?
0: for well this is you know a, a very wide apology which included online furores and online abuse and I haven't no I couldn't abuse organized international racist abuse on the internet. I couldn't do that. I have no I mean mm. I I I have no nothing to do with that. So, so they they apologized and they apologised for my racism and they, didn't, they forgot that I was a live human being in charge of other live human beings. They forgot my, that I was a teacher. They forgot I was a human being altogether. I've, I've never been so shocked in my life when I, when I heard that apology go out, uh, it went over my agent's head, my head, my editor's head, anyone who'd read the book was put out the room. So
1: they were essentially pleading guilty on your behalf yes. without consulting you.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, and nobody spoke to me. None of, none. of them spoke to me. I wasn't spoken to directly. It just went out. And then that night, um, I, you know, I obviously wasn't sleeping, and I looked at my email late at night, and there was a reply from somebody I knew to a letter which had been sent out by an editor at Pam saying. And she was. It was an angry reply, saying, "You know, Kate's a human being. What do you mean, dumping her like this?" And I assumed that the thing that I'd been told could happen, which is that all my books would be pulped, had happened, and this had been announced to all the fellow authors. And with everything else that was going on, then I decided to kill myself in a way that I have never, ever, ever experienced before. I really, genuinely, because I'm a pretty resilient person as as writers go. Um I'm pretty resilient and sober citizen and you know I'm a teacher. I've got a teacher's pension, all of that. Um but I was astonished by the strength of that idea. And I and and I, I have children, I didn't do that, but I I know
1: Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May seventeenth. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: to that I thought this is this is something that you know all of us here are caught up in something that could have that effect something very bad
1: so the strength the feeling of suddenly having your life's work upturned and being made into something that you're ashamed of people
0: people were caricaturing every single thing I'd done there wasn't anything I could do about it um, they were saying that some of the most that i I was some of the things that I most fundamentally hate, and that I've worked for all my life all my life. I've, I've worked to to help young people express themselves. It's what I absolutely most want to do. And to be to be told that I've been doing that as a kind of secret racism project. I, you know, you could know all hmm. there were all the worst things that I could possibly imagine. To have my words disordered and turned upside down. And to how, have my books thrown away.
1: How long did that kind of suicidal or strength of feeling last? How, how long has it I been I can't really you?
0: remember. I had my, my cousin came to stay. That's what always happens in my life. One of my cousins comes to stay when things are really bad. But they, um, But I remember noting it and I tried to tell people about it. I thought this is the thing that I have to tell people. We've got to not do this this is not right.
1: Do you feel that the sort of human aspect just
0: gets forgotten? I think people just completely forget because it's a, like a play. It's like a, you know, a character play laid out on Twitter. People entirely forget that it's an actual person. Um, and, you know, the so for example, I mean, the, after this, this interview, people will say, um, she's going for sympathy points or she's trying for the cancelled points or things like that. But they, you know, they don't really, If just use a little empathy. You might think, well, if, if, you, if you're doing a literary critic, critic, critique of this and someone was authoring it, you might say the author at this point is trying to get a bit of sympathy for the character. But if it's actually happening to you, that, it's your actual life's work. This is my actual life's work. This is my actual everything that I've always worked for has actually been taken away. It really does happen. And when people are mocking your real bereavement, for example, I think people forget that when they write a tweet, it's exactly the same size as a message from a friend. It comes on exactly the same conveyance. And if somebody is mocking something deeply fundamental, like a death, that hurts you as fundamentally as if it happened to a friend, so yeah. It I think it it and, and it's very strong, deeply nightmarish, and I, I felt that that is something that we had to write about and try and do better.
1: Where do you think the cruelty comes from? Uh, you know, who, well, is
0: it, is it in all of us.
1: And and what's so confusing about this? If we're, you know, strikes me you being very generous to your critics. Um, but if we if we try to do that, the confusion is that it it comes from a, a good instinct or mm-hmm. in theory a good instinct, which is a kind of prosecution of, of per- badness, perceived absolutely. bias, protection yeah. of vulnerable groups, and all of that. And yet the ultimate effect of it is so vicious.
0: Yeah, it comes from inside people. I think it makes people frightened. I think deep deep it's deeply frightening for the people who are doing it. I'm absolutely sure it is and it must be horrible for them because once they've uttered something, you know, like made, you know, made, some, made fun of somebody's bereavement, they've put themselves up, you know, you know, they've climbed too high a tree, they've, they've done something quite, you know, they've broken taboos, they've done something quite terrible really and then, so then it has to be the right thing and uh, you, they, they, yeah. So you
1: you. So they you
0: feel so they have they to have, double you
1: have down. To sort of, yeah. Tie yourself to the mast once you begin a. Yeah, you have to.
0: Well, they, they are tied to the mast. Those those words have tied them to the mast, and so therefore they have to keep justifying them. So it's got its own energy, and I think there's a particular thing with me that um, they just, you know, I was made a symbol of everything that's wrong in British publishing um, because the book was successful. That these slips were seen as being. Everything that's wrong in British publishing, and that's actually quite a wide thing to carry. And I don't think that my book carries it. It's not a good candidate for that job. Um, And because of that, you know, the 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 whole thing is essentially unstable, and that's why it keeps going. It's like nuclear fission. So because the book isn't can't really carry the charges that are laid against it. The, the people that are making the charges are always risks looking like they're bad people. So they have to double down and double down and mm. double down. So it has an endless energy to it.
1: So at one point, it was announced that you were going to rewrite sections of the book. Mm. Was this subsequent to that? And yes, that was subsequent. did you that, that agree was... to do that?
0: Well, um, yes, because I, you know I enjoy an editing process. And I think that editing is good. And I was looking forward to, you know, that I'm quite always quite so happy to do that. This is a book,
1: then, that at that point, is two years old and has won the Orwell Prize and has been given five star reviews yeah. across the media. Why would two years later you want to rewrite sections of well, it?
0: I, I mean, well, partly because some, some, one of the truly malign things that happened, dangerous, malign things that's happening, that's still happening, is that people started to play around with trying to find the identification of the children. Now, Some Kids Are Taught is written exactly like every other, well, there's three teaching memoirs out this year which are written on exactly the same principle. All medical memoirs are written like this, most memoir is written like this, which is that you have consent for some people, there are some people that know that you're in there, and there are other people who are very, very heavily disguised. But And I think that Some Kids has been tested more than, any other one I can think of, in that there are people out there doing things like pretending to have been at school with the students and try, pretending that they knew secret knowledge about which students they were. A truly malign activity, truly cruel, desperately upsetting for the students.
1: And frightening for you as well, yes. because there's this sense it, that they might be
0: sort of uncovered or well, not. Well, because, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you might make a false identification. You can make identifications across from this book, for example, or you can make identifications across from Twitter. You can make a false identification. You could deeply upset somebody by saying, "This is you when it absolutely wasn't." So and I, I my mean, publishers did not stand up for me at that point, and they did not stand up for the children. They, they agreed with, they made a donation to charity um, in response to an, a baseless letter which said that there had been irregularities in my teaching practice. There are no irregularities in my teaching practice nobody has complained. And my students, and that's what one of my students, when I was discussing with my students, if, I, if we should continue to be published with them, my students said, no, you should leave because they left us to defend you. And it, we were happy to defend you, but it was not our job.
1: Let's hear about that. So your, your students took it upon themselves to write mm. a letter yes. together yes, saying, no, you were a good teacher. And I've got a quote yeah. from it here, they said, uh, though well-meaning people appear to want to defend us, in some ways their intervention is often disempowering and causing us distress because it does not reflect our reality. We do not need defending. We will speak for ourselves. So they obviously felt that you, what was happening to you, and by implication mm-hmm. them, was unfair. Yeah,
0: and, and very upsetting. And to very them. upsetting. Yeah, they're not zombies.
1: So even despite yeah. that, yeah. this is what's. This is still going people.
0: on. Pe- pe- people are still tweeting that they're too young to understand racism. These are twenty five year olds. Right. That they're too stupid, but you know, they these are political graduates, that they don't understand what's going on, that they're people I barely know. They're not any of those things. They are the stud- the people who are in the book and they've identified themselves to mm-hmm. the they identified themselves very carefully and properly to the bookseller and they asked the bookseller not to put their names out because, you know, they didn't want to be persecuted.
1: And the perhaps most famous example mm. is the girl who you described as having almond-shaped eyes, eyes, yeah, um, which was one of the things that was seized upon as being mm. a, a racist stereotype. Um, she wrote an essay in the Sunday Times, saying critics labelled this description patronising, insulting, offensive, colonialist, and racist. This upset me. I am that girl with the almond eyes. I did not find it offensive. Mm. So we're at the point now where the people to whom the offense was supposedly caused are saying they're not offended by it and yet another group of people are trying offended to insist on their
0: behalf yeah
1: so it's it's become a, quite a complicated three-way. it's a, it's
0: a very complicated thing um i think you know publishing i made the agreement with some kids on the normal it was read by a lawyer it was read by the people in it and in in any normal memoir it is Conforms to the law of the land, and more than that, it conforms to my conscience in that I know that the students in it are being represented properly. But to give you an example, there, there's somebody on the internet trying to out the character called Akash, who's a young in the book is a young Nepalese boy Mm. who is very brilliant and gay, and he's wondering about coming out to his family. Akash, of course, has grown up. I had to phone him up. He's living abroad at the moment, he's his own writer an editor, is doing tremendously well, and say, somebody's trying to do this. Someone's trying to out teenage you on the grounds that it's a data breach. And his response was, first of all, I am a literary figure in the book. That is not me. That's a literary figure. Second of all, I love that portrayal of me. And if I wasn't in the book, I and my gayness would not be able to talk to other queer boys across across time. And um, then finally, this is deeply offensive. I am deeply hurt. Because he does not want malign people with malign intent, you know, making malign accusations mm. that his data has been breached as if he couldn't consent, as if people couldn't listen to him. And yet this is still going on. People are still doing that in order to demonstrate that I'm an evil person. It's really very bad for the kids.
1: I mean, what I think if, if you're so much at the centre of this mm. storm, I think for people who didn't know about it before, it will strike them as wild that a teacher and writer who is producing a poetry anthology, or writing a memoir with highly affectionate portrayals of your former pupils, finds yourself in a sort of doxing, identity revealing witch hunt, where you need to try and protect the pupils, there are people trying to out them for, for no reason at all. It's, the disconnect is so Huge.
0: It's Um, very upsetting.
1: Do you do you feel like you're able to keep it in perspective in in that sense, or or do you feel like you're able to understand that for most people it would seem totally baffling?
0: It 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 baffles and and amazes me. Um, Well, but that but that's why I decided that I had to I had to leave.
1: So let's, let's get to that point. So you've had these students defending mm-hmm. you. You've had various people both attacking and, and defending you.
0: Things settled down a bit for a while.
1: Things settled down for a bit. And then a, a senior executive at your publisher reawakened the controversy in some way by initially defending you or saying that he wished he had defended you more and then retracting that. And what, then what, retracting what that. What happened then? Well, there
0: were two things happening at the same time. So um, I'd written a piece for Prospect um, about the thing I was telling you about about ostracism and suicidal ideation, and I, I wrote that because I genuinely feel it's something important that people should understand. And they then uh, that was coming out at the same time. Everything was going quite peacefully. I right? um, and then yeah, uh, the executive at uh, Pam Macmillan made said said I should have had more rights. The chief executive. Yeah, and well, he's um, he's an editor. Yeah. Um, may, may, and, then, and then withdrew it. And then I was put under pressure not to write in prospect, to withdraw the piece in prospect. Um, and How did they
1: put you under pressure?
0: They asked me to withdraw it again. And always in the background is the idea that my books will be removed. I mean, that, 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 that's been there from the beginning that all my books could be cancelled.
1: When you say in the background, has that ever been mentioned as a threat? Well,
0: yes. And
1: so your publisher is asking you not to write a piece or prospect?
0: Because magazine, because it would associate, I don't know, because it, yeah, because I, I shouldn't write about my experience. Um, but
1: with the implicit or explicit threat that they'll pull you as an author and cancel well, you? Well,
0: that's always words. there, yeah. And then I wrote the piece, I, 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 I didn't cancel the piece, and the piece went ahead, and people reacted with I was trying not to write just about myself, I was trying to write about the, the process. Um, but you know, it, people did react with wishing me dead a great deal. And the
1: and how and, my, that... and
0: then my publishers apologized to my critics and distanced themselves from my piece.
1: Your publisher, you're, you write a piece about feeling suicidal during this incredibly traumatic. Yeah, I right try. I try to write about my feelings,
0: but I also try to write it as wider. You know that it, that, that it, this is something that can happen to people and perhaps we can take better care, was what I was trying to say. So but your
1: publisher's response is to wash their hands of you and apologise for your piece.
0: Yeah, I want to be able to write. Um, it's very hard to write after one of these things because it comes at a very micro level. So you can imagine cheering happening just after one or two words. So it's quite hard to write.
1: So who are these people and how can they behave in such a callous way?
0: Um, well, I think they weren't people that knew me very well, because my own editor had just left. Um, and I think they were in a new situation and they didn't know what to do. Um, um, and they, I think, you know, the, the president or the CEO is moving on as well. So it was, you know, a slightly awkward time. So I think, I but, think that's what happened. But,
1: you know, that's again, being generous. You know, what about just saying that it's it's totally unacceptable? It was. To...
0: It, I think it's done. I think it's damaging. I think anyone who's writing a memoir should be very concerned because what they said in the end was that they're responsible for offence on the internet, and I don't think publishing can be responsible for offence on the internet because I think you've got to be responsible for the portrayals of the young people and. I hope I am in that nobody has comp- you know, nobody has complained that's what that's the test of a memoir every so often you get you know a memoir and somebody complains and says hey that's me playing tennis and then people have to pay out or change the text or do whatever they do that's how mem- that's how memoirs been published for 100 years M- my book's absolutely fine with all of those things it's nobody's recognised themselves nobody has um, complained no one's in it but picador's doing something completely new paulant was doing something completely new when they said we are responsible for associations that people bring for this book. We are responsible for people having arguments on the internet late at night in association with this book. And I think that's an infinite area of offense, mm. And if that's seriously where publishing is going to go, then it's going to make a lot of difficulties for writing writers and publishers. I don't know what you can write or publish.
1: So here you've got a, a famous imprint, Picador, of yeah. Pam Mill one of the big publishing mm. houses. And normally, it's often said that it's the slightly more junior people within these organisations mm. who are lobbying for these kind of movements. But it sounds from what you're saying that it went all the way to the top.
0: Yes. Well, I, I, I mean, I'd, because I was excluded and everybody I knew was excluded from those meetings, I don't really know. But I believe that the children's division was important. That's just what I've been told. I just don't know.
1: So, What does that mean for book publishing? I mean, you're not the only example. This is maybe a particularly egregious and nasty example, but the same kind of hesitancy and angst is across all sorts of cultural yeah, areas absolutely. and publishing in particular. What's the way out of
0: it? I don't know. I mean, um, it's not about writing. I can tell you that because nobody had read the book. So it it was about me as a a Twitter person. I suppose it means that Right, publishing is entirely about social media and popular people will be published and unpopular people won't be and people's reputations will rise and fall entirely on that. So that's a different world. I suppose it's the morality is um, strange because I kind of relied on publishing to be basically, publishing is basically ourselves, isn't it? It's just a reflection of where we are right now and that's what it has to be. Um, and it is there to make money. I think that's it's not the BBC, it's not a national view. But I think the, the idea that publishing, and it is a popular idea that publishing is there to be very virtuous and convert people. Uh, and, that, and I think that's the, the idea now. I, I don't think that can really fly. I think publishing, publishing can only defend its own. It can only defend breadth of expression. It can only defend nuanced expression. The laws are there for us. I think it has to go back to that. I, I, I don't see how this model is going to do anything other than really damage people because everybody is damaged. The people that issue those edicts um, and those statements I'm sure are very upset and damaged. I'm sure that's not their best day by a very long way. The people that are stuck on social media endlessly doubling down on me, they're having a terrible time. I've had a truly terrible time and lost everything I most value. I don't know who has benefited. The young people who had a wonderful time with publication, you know, the people who had this, the young people in this book had a wonderful time. The goldenness of publication, all the clever things that publication can do. Mm. It made them grow. It made them happy, changed their lives in really positive ways.
1: So they've now been depublished They've as well. been
0: depublished. And they've been associated with heartbreak and disgrace. And that's the worst bit for me.
1: So what happens next, Kate? Um, Will you seek out a new publisher? Will you continue writing? What's what's the next Well, I'm
0: writing things again. Great. Um, Quietly in a room. I I write my best things with no expectation of the people reading them. And I still have, I'm very lucky to still have teaching work because people know me and i am i am good at teaching and they know me and i i always turn up so i still have my job so that's good so mm-hmm. i've got enough to be going on with um yeah so that's my plan is to is to do my teaching and to carry on writing and i hope to be able you know people are going to ask me about this and I hope to be able to comment and to, you know, what I tried to do in Prospect was to to comment in a humane way, mm. not in a not too divisive way, because it's, you know, when all this was going on in the summer, at the same time, one of my students was stuck in Afghanistan and I and several of my other students were... Writing lots and lots of letters to the Home Office, none of which, of course, were read. But you know, and sending money and all of that kind of stuff to try and get her back. And you can, if you want, there are real things in the world. If you want to write angry letters, you can go to your local asylum centre and help because there's endless numbers of angry letters to be written to the Home Office. I I, I just hope that, that that this terrible thing that seems to have happened to really good people to the liberal left to everybody I've always thought I was. That's the division between this kind of shadow play Twitter world and the real life. I hope we can heal that division and people can think about what what their real values are and go back to making imperfect relationships. I mean, I have no doubt that all my relationships with my students are imperfect. My book is a record of it, but their relationships, we're all humans.
1: Kate Clancy, thank you so much. You have been listening to Kate Clancy, telling us how within the space of a year she went from award-winning writer, poet, teacher to cancelled person, hung out to dry by her publisher Picador. We're living in very strange times when the person you've just met is considered a menace to society. Thank you very much to Kate for talking to us and to you for tuning in. This was Unheard.